What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at London Community Foundation. Today I'm joined by Tuan Jajal, Executive Director of the London Family Court Clinic, to talk about the opening of the Beacon House. It's their latest initiative to help children who've been victims of the justice system. You won't want to miss this conversation. Hi, Tuan. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you doing, Diane? I'm good. It's The sun shines out finally, so I can't complain. Well, I'm really glad that we have you on our podcast. And so for our listeners who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what the London Family Court Clinic does? Sure. Um, well, I'm I'm Tuan Jodgel, and I'm the executive director here at the London Family Court Clinic. And we are a medium-sized nonprofit. And we specialize working within referrals from the justice system. So we do um, psychometry, psychology. We also provide uh, parenting capacity. We have a child witness program where we prepare children for testimony within the court system, whether it's um, through CCTV or at the courthouse itself. And we really focus on building resiliency within children and youth and families who are at risk of or within the justice system or or about to exit the justice system. So that is very short and very brief about what the Family Court Clinic does, of course, for a nonprofit charity. So we also um, are an agency that relies on the kindness of others. So mm-hmm. that's it's an exciting field to be in, and I'm very happy to lead such a dynamic organization of professionals. That's wonderful. I and I know we're going to dig deeper to the the work that you guys do. So, um, what drew us in to have you on our podcast today is uh, the launch of Beacon House. So, can you tell us a bit about that project and how it's adding value to the clients you serve? Well, absolutely, and and thank you for the opportunity as well. It's it's I'm so happy to discuss it because I'm so passionate about what we do. So Beacon House is supported uh, through or with the assistance of Justice Canada. And what we are is a child and youth advocacy center. And we have children between the ages of five and 12, and we'll go up to 18 at some point in time when we're, you know, when we get a little bit more immersed in the work. And what we do is we provide a, a singular entry point for children and youth who are victims and survivors of abuse and violence. And what we do is we act as system navigator. So we advocate for community resource and care for those children and youth, as well as for the parents and or the caregivers who have to tend to those children's needs as well. And the, the great thing about what we've done here is that we've amalgamated resources under one roof with our partnerships with London Police, St. Joseph's Healthcare, as well as CAS for London Middlesex. And having that single access point and those services amalgamated under one roof is we, the focus is not only to hear the story of trauma from these children, but we limit the amount of times that story has to be told thereby mitigating the risk for re-traumatization of those children. 
when we are able to decrease or mitigate the risk for re-traumatization, it allows us to focus on interviewing and taking information from that child in real time. There's no waiting period for them to tell that story because it's immediate. There's no waiting for them to get involved in community resource because we have everything amalgamated already. We've formed those partnerships for them. So the focus for us really becomes on having that professional advocate who is greeting them upon entry to focus on that advocacy role and allowing that child and that family to then focus on that healing process. The space in which they enter is warm, welcoming, child-friendly. And what Beacon House then can really begin to get immersive about is what resources can we connect them to that are wraparound. So we're really focusing on that holistic, fulsome scope of care that what the child needs. So we're able to do those strong, long-lasting um, assessments for them. And that, I think, is what really separates Beacon House from anything else that exists. It's not a unique model because there's 31 of us across the country, but it's a model where we can begin to add new traction to that wheel that's already been invented. Okay. Like, I'm fascinated by this because I can see how this does provide tremendous value to the clients that you're serving because, like you said, uh, you're not having them retell their story. They have access to the supports that they need. So what led your organization to develop this model? Like, what was that spark that said, no, we need to transform the way we're handling things right now? Oh, it, it's it's such a wonderful question because it's one that's being that has been asked for years we know that we are working within a system that can be fragmented at times so when we have a group of like-minded individuals who are focused on that mission of helping and serving the community of marginalized people you really begin to hone in and focus on what the need is. So what we're able to do is to say, is to ask the question you've asked, how do we add value to a group of individuals who are seeking something they can't access? So what we've done is we've, we've, we've added value not only in creating those access points, but we're filling in the gaps that we know already exists that we've been advocating for for years so when you ask the question of what sparked it it's it's always something that we've talked about but we needed that ignition we needed that enzyme in this equation to be the catalyst for change and what was it it was finally connecting with the partners that were like-minded and when you find those people that it's it becomes a natural conversation to have how do we help and you know I, I always ask this who within our community of caregivers and even outside that target group of people would say no to seeing and hearing the story of a child and saying i'm sorry not today it doesn't exist within this group of people because you know that you've you're already aligned through mission 
vision and values. So when we apply need, you you have an automatic win and access point for those marginalized groups of individuals who have suffered to say, oh, hey, I can open that door and look what's waiting for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. So for our listeners um, and for added context, can you share a bit more about the children that the Beacon House will serve and advocate for? Uh, for. So like just maybe some of the misconceptions that people may have about the types of kids that you would serve, if you can unpack that. Of course. And, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great discussion point because when we use words like at risk or victim or we, we look at survivor, there's gen- there, there can be a misconception about who that person is or about who the parents are. You know, how could a parent place this child in this position or a caregiver? Well, you know, that's not always the case. We have, we have, we have clients, victim survivors who are from all walks of life. You know, they can come from affluent families. They can come from marginalized groups. They are all genders. So it's, it really becomes about Yes, who? And, and let's talk about that misconception. The misconception is what sometimes averts the public's eyes. You know, and, and, and let's, let's reapply the lens through which we view these children. You can talk about, oh, you know, um, you know, Johnny's a bad kid. You know, of course he's going to get in trouble. Well, sometimes those choices are limited. You know, and, and, and we can look at a community of individuals and say, well, wait a second, maybe they don't have the same type of choice that another child would have. Or maybe they're in a situation or they're placed in an ecosystem that it is, is not stimulating, that is maybe disadvantageous to them. So the misconception here is that when we use the word at risk, that these are bad kids doing bad things. No, they're not. They're, they're children who've been victimized. They're children who are part of marginalized communities who don't, who maybe don't have access to great options. So it, it's important for people to recognize that we don't exist because there are bad kids. We exist because the system understands that there's a need to serve those who need care, need quality care. So this is why you know, we, we have to, you know, sometimes think about how do we neurolinguistically reprogram individuals to see these children where they are and not apply a lens to what you think this child should be? Because that's, we're there to do those assessments. We're there to understand where they are and meet them where they are. I don't want to take a child and say, okay, meet me over here. Because this is where the, the assessment and, and clinical need and resource begins. No, it's about us taking that journey, going to where they are, opening that door, and, and demystifying who they are as individuals. Because that becomes immaterial to the need that mm-hmm. they feel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm assuming, obviously by what you just shared, I can imagine the diversity of um, the kids that you're serving, right? They're all coming from different walks of life, um, uh, different uh, ethnic backgrounds, whatever it may be. So what makes this space safe 
in accommodating all this diversity? Oh, it's, it's, that's such a wonderful question because you're absolutely right, Diane. We see children, we see youth who are from different backgrounds. We do recognize, you know, and I, and I, I need to make this point is that we do recognize that there are communities where we see more victimization within. And we, we have professionals who work within this environment who recognize the need to create access points for marginalized communities. So that's something that we do hone in on. Now let's get to the question that you're asking, the broader based question about that accessibility and that inclusivity that we have within this space. So first we've created a child-friendly environment. It's an environment that focuses on being welcoming, but also the why and the how. So when an individual walks in, they understand why they're there. We've already taken the opportunity to break down the barriers of the access point. Because you could take a swath across this community, and a lot of people will tell you, I don't know how to access the system. I don't know what to do. So we, we focus on accessibility. And accessibility doesn't mean let's ensure that there is a you know, a wheelchair button in order to open the door. Accessibility also means how do we connect with a community of individuals to help them understand that a space exists simply for them to start focusing on that healing journey. Now, you know, people will hear this healing journey phrase and think, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what this is, is big. What is this? Yeah. You know, where's <laughs> yeah. the twinkle here? Right. What, what it's really about is taking these individuals from different diverse backgrounds and focusing on that common thing that connects us. That, that commonality that exists is that the need that they feel is that, you know, how do I connect with A, B, or C agency to ensure, you know, I'm getting the care I need or to that psychologist or to that psychiatrist or to this you know, nurse practitioner or that person who practices nursing to get, you know, help in some way. We match that and say, okay, we've opened the door. You've got your access point. Guess what? We have that need for you. So your question about diversity is so important. We have a group of individuals who may look like the individuals who are coming in. You know, and it's important for people to understand that that can make a significant difference in someone's journey to healthcare or to someone's journey through that crisis. When you see someone who looks like you, who understands your experience, it begins to shift that focus. You know, when you have someone coming in who's in crisis mode, who's, who's been traumatized, who has been victimized, and they can enter a space that is purely focused on decreasing that stimulus and, and, and the focus of us to decrease that trauma experience, it begins again to take away that, you know, we should never talk about these things, right? The things that happen in dark spaces and says, okay, let's turn the light on and focus on who you are, what your experience has been and how do we begin to take, your, to take your story of whatever has victimized you and, and whatever abuse you've suffered 
And how do we begin to augment that in this space to get you on the right path? That's good. And and removing the shame that sometimes these kids may carry, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so you carry that. Of course, yeah. They do carry and, that. And it's not sure. just simply about, you know, a uh, one one-time visit. Hey, come on and you will fix everything in one go. And and you Diane, you know, you really hit the nail on the head. When you talk about that shame, what did I do to deserve this? And it's it's so important to focus on that why. You know, what happened? Why why did this happen to me? You know, and parents will ask will ask that same question. What what did I do wrong? And and it's so important that you mention that is that taking that shame away in a manner that is not us trying to say, you know, okay, let's just take that away and throw it in the garbage. But how do you work through that feeling? And we connect you to an individual who can deal with that, you know, the shame that you talk about or to, to, to demystify the need that that person has and to say, okay, wait a second, you know, you didn't do anything wrong here. You know, what happened to you is not your fault. So what a, what a great way to phrase it, Diane, is how do you remove that? So it's, it's about us being knowledgeable in what can walk through those doors. So thank you for bringing that up because that is a very important point as well. Okay, and so that gets me thinking too. Do you do any work around preventative um, work? So I'm sure that, uh, you know, the reality is children are often exposed to a variety of situations that are, that put them in vulnerable situations, but do you do anything that's preventative as well? Um, that helps them understand maybe cues or things to look for to not uh, present themselves in another vulnerable situation. I don't know. Is this even yeah, something that I'm, can be done? Well, you know what? I, I know exactly where you're going. Do you know where this. I'm going? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, but it, it's... Glad it's, you it's, understand me. <laughs> but, it, but it's hard to phrase, right? Because, yes. you're, you know, in the question itself, you're you're wondering... Boy, if I phrase this a certain way, am am I then acting in a you know am I revictimizing this person by just simply asking right. the question, right? Yes. And that goes back to that: what did I do to put myself in this space? And 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 it's and it's great, but I I absolutely understand where you're going with this. And education, and and training is so important in what we do. And that's why having advocates and professionals at your fingertips are so key to what Beacon House and what the Family Court Clinic really does. You know, when you talk about, you, you, we have to talk about doing the right thing at the right time. Timing is everything, but also having the right people doing those right things. So education is very important. And that's why that advocate exists at the ground floor to understand what those parents are going to need in terms of resource, what those children and youth need to recognize in terms of warning signs. You know, I think being the lead, you know, with the family court clinic being the lead agency in Beacon House, it puts us at a bit of an advantage because we, we work through so many grants and we have so many professionals who work here that we can also access in terms of educating. You know, you look at, you know, one of the grants that we're working on right now 
is an internet or online-based um, sexual grant. Good. So it okay. talks about what do predatory behaviors look like? And we're really focusing on the opposite spectrum of what do uh, perpetrators do? So that gives us the opportunity then to look at it from an end-to-end -end spectrum. And that's what's important here is so we can educate people on what those entry points to online predatory behaviors are as an example, and then talk about, you know, what key phrases come up. What do individuals who act in this manner do? So we can educate those children and youth, but more so educating the parents. And then when we talk about community resources, we're able to then connect them. So education, training, we also follow the youth. So we talk about having them from end to end. And remember as well, Beacon House is pre-charge. You know, family court clinic is justice system where we take our referrals from the justice system and we, you know, we, you know, for example, section 34 reports, and I won't get into what that no, is. I know people okay. will hear it and say, what's that? <laughs> but, you know, when we talk about, you know, doing those psychometry assessments, doing those psychological assessments through that report process, right? We, we, what we can do is we follow those children pre-charge if, you know, if in fact these particular incidences lead to charge, we then have the capacity to the, refer them into, as an example, our child witness project where we can prepare them for testimony. So this isn't just this sort of, we've amalgamated these great services and great partnerships under one roof. It's our capacity in the grant space in the educa education and training space, and then our ability to refer that to professionals who can follow the children from end to end to ensure that those education points, those training and learning stick. So it's, we also have a, you know, a, a daughter organization with Navigating Onward, where it's a group of psychologists, psychometrists, and other counseling professionals who are in our space. So again, it's this whole sort of wraparound fulsome process that where we can say, we have the access, we have the training, we have the education, we have these things that we can do for these children and youth that can get them into that healing space and, and put them from point A to point B. It's not easy. It doesn't take 24 hours. It takes time. But when you're connected to the people who can make that work happen, that's where we have that advantage right now. This is incredible. Like, I'm sure a lot of people in the community that are listening to this are really impressed to hear that there's this organization in the community that does this level of sophisticated work uh, for children and youth. I, I know I'm in awe. Like, I thought I knew what Family Court <laughs> Clinic did, but you've really opened my eyes here. So um, that's incredible. So... Um, you are, at the end of the day, a not-for-profit, and you were just talking about grants. So can you tell us a bit about, you know, how? what are your funding sources and what are the gaps and how can the general community support the Family Court Clinic or Beacon House? Well, thank you. It's, it's a, it's, it's, um, I really appreciate the question because it really begins to talk about that, how we help. So we are, uh, we are funded through various government ministries. 
So, you know, um, child services, the Ministry of Health, we have the Ministry of the Attorney General at the provincial level that helps fund our child witness project. Um, so that's how our funding takes place through those ministries. And we are the Beacon House is through Justice Canada. So at the federal level. And, and you know, I, I, I wish that I could say it's enough. You know, but it's you, you always need a bit more because, you know, working within the not for profit space, it's that finding the unicorn. Right. Where nonprofits are always tasked with doing great things and solving big systems level concerns with not a lot of resource. So, you know, that dichotomy exists. Yes. Between, between what we want to do and what we're sometimes able to do based on those funding models. And we're, we're thankful for what those ministries do for us. You know, it's, it's certainly, you know, you always want more, but we're thankful for what we have. And we understand that our program supervisors would love to give us more as well. And, and, and we know that Justice Canada, of course, would like to do more for Beacon House. So, you know, in terms of the public, you know, the understanding that we always like to impart to people is that the question we always get is, I want to help, but I just don't know how. And, you know, that call to action really becomes about, are you able first to align with this particular mission? You know, are you the type of individual who would say, I'd love to help a child? And I'll tell you, frankly, I don't know a single person that would say no. I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't know anyone who would say no to helping a child when you hear their story and you see that look in their eyes. Because we've heard things, you know, we, we've heard things that the average individual thankfully doesn't have to hear. And that's why we have those trained professionals who are able. You know, so so how do you connect to the community? And And really, it's about we want to build something better for these children and youth who've been victimized for tomorrow. How do, what do we do today to make tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow better for them? We have great stories that we've heard about children, you know, being victims and, and being abused and suffering violence that 10 years later, this is what they want to do. You know, so it's, so the work really resonates so, you know, what can people do? You know, we have our website, which is beaconhouselondon.ca, where people can go and, and they can, you know, of course, they can donate money. And, you know, for those who say, well, I, I don't, you know, maybe I can't donate $100 to this particular cause. Well, guess what? Maybe we, sometimes it's only $10 that we need from you. You know, if, if a thousand people donate $10, we can, we can change the life of a child. And that's really what our mission is. But also, people are able to donate. Um, we put together these sort of um, snack bags where we, you know, take granola bars. We have disposable brushes. We have dentists who will donate, you know, uh, small things of toothpaste. So these are things that people sometimes don't even know that we need. So there's so people can actually do that. You know, they can if there are dentists out there. Or if there are people who can donate, if there are, you know, salon owners or stylists out there who want to donate disposable hairbrushes, because oftentimes our kiddos don't don't know where their next meal is coming from. You know, may not have a clean shirt to wear. So we can so we can take, you know, small clothing donations for children and youth. We can do those types of things. Of course, monetary donations for us are the best. 
because it it hundred percent of what goes or what is donated rather goes to that service for those children. So you know it, it's this. I don't know what to do. I don't. I'd love to help a child because, like I said, there isn't a person out there who doesn't want to help a child. What do you do? So you can go to our website, BeaconHouseLondon.ca, and you can donate. There are drop-down menus. We we have a we have a drop-down menu for parking. You know, because a lot of our clients, you know, aren't able to park or may not have a credit card. So we we have a fund that we've built to help cover the cost of parking for them. So I, as a person that's in fundraising <laughs> and that <laughs> and that works for the foundation, I would highly encourage listeners to just give unrestrictedly to um, uh, Beacon House so that you can deploy the money as you see fit, depending on the situations that you're presented with. So uh, you're doing a great job at... Um, really demonstrating the value that you bring and the work that you do and how people can help. And uh, you've done a fabulous job on that. So I do have one last question. Finally, what do you think Lenin can be and how do you think we can get there together? Well, what a great question. I've I've lived in London uh, almost my whole life. And it's, it's an absolutely wonderful city. You know, if I think of it in the context of what Family Court Clinic does and how people can, you know, donate to the court clinic and how they can donate to Beacon House, I think London can be a community of individuals who can look at marginalized communities of victims and survivors and be that beacon of hope for them. Now, to me, I think that's what London can be. You know, what did you do today that you can do differently for these children for tomorrow? So to me, that's what my core mission as the executive director of, of both these agencies would be. So I think it's a wonderful question. And for me, that's how I see how London can improve the, ch- the, the lives of children and youth victims and survivors of abuse. Very nice. Tuin, I loved uh, this time with you and hearing about the great work that Beacon House is doing in the Family Court Clinic. Thank you so much uh, to you and your team and your partners uh, for all the great work that you're doing. Thank well, you. Well, thank you for this opportunity and, and, you know, and a big thank you for that team of individuals because they're the ones who are really on the front lines making those changes happen. So thank you so much, Diane, for this opportunity. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What Lenin Can Be. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca forward slash what Lenin can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for listening to us.